While visiting Jobcase HQ in Cambridge, Mass., Fred Goff, Jobcase CEO and all-around smart guy, lured Joel and I into a lunch and learn session about, well, about us, but mainly about the Chad Cheese entrepreneurial story complete with some Q&A at the end. Enjoy. After this word from Jobcase. Yo, Chad, got a question for you. Okay. Sam looking to hire hourly workers for hard to fill jobs. Where should I go? Easy. Job case. Okay. All right. Now let's say I've tried the job boards and all I'm getting is clicks. And what I really yeah. want are qualified candidates, actual people. Where should I go? Dude, job case. Now, what if I want the team who is helping me with all this sourcing to be really, really, really smart? Mm-hmm. And before you answer, keep in mind, I'm talking Mensa smart, like MIT affiliated data scientists and people who are at the forefront of machine learning. Who you got? Oh my God, dude. It's job case. Job case. Look, with 100 million members in their community, active and passive job seekers, a huge team of data scientists who are experts at targeting and connecting employers with the right candidates, the answer is is always going to be job case. I dig it. I'm picking up what you're putting down. But what if... Hard stop, job case. See for yourself why the answer always comes back to job case for all your hiring needs. Learn more at jobcase.com slash hire. That's jobcase.com slash hire. Job case. Hide your kids. Lock the doors. You're listening to HR's most dangerous podcast. Chad Sowash and Joel Cheeseman are here to punch the recruiting industry right where it hurts. Complete with breaking news, brash opinion, and loads of snark. Buckle up, boys and girls. It's time for the Chad and Cheese Podcast. Why don't you start by helping me fill in your biographies, your professional biographies, better than I did. And then after we hear about each of you, if you could talk about the, the journey on building the Chad and Cheese show. <laughs> you first. Uh, uh, I don't know how far you want me to go back. Um, Kindergarten. Kindergarten. So, uh, yeah, my first entrepreneurial story is uh, I was a big Star Wars geek as a kid. And my parents wouldn't buy me the figurines, and I, I know we're all, all old enough to remember these figurines. And so there was a golf course near our house, so I went and gathered aluminum cans in these big garbage bags, and I would recycle them to the point where I would get enough money to buy Star Wars figures. Uh, later on in high school, during lunch breaks, I would go buy gum at like a penny a piece, and I would go sell them at school for 25 cents a piece. <laughs> Uh, I got in the job board space in 97, 98, around the time this guy did. Uh, we were at opposing job boards. Um, did that till around 2005, and I'd always, I'd always been entrepreneurial. And um, I knew that I was at an age where it was time to kind of shit or get off the pot, if you will. Sorry, we have some high schoolers in the audience, so I'll try to keep it. I'll try to keep it to shit. They, they might have heard stuff. that before. Um, yeah, they're, you're their dad, right? Yeah. Do one of them. Um, not all of them. Not all of them, yes. Not all the kids. Uh, SEO was big at the time. I was a marketer, and I had I had learned that that in the process. And so I started an SEO business for HR. It's called HR SEO, and the goal was to help companies leverage. You know, if I'm a company in Milwaukee, I would rank for Milwaukee jobs, etc. Um, it sort of morphed into helping vendors market themselves and getting background check companies to rank for background checks and job boards to rank. Uh, started a blog at the time uh, called Cheesehead. 
And I learned that the more I blogged, the more business I got. So this was sort of my first content marketing education where you create good content, you get people to walk, uh, look at it and trust you and know that you know what you're talking about, um, and then businesses come. So fast forward, sort of uh, sold that business and a couple others. Um, knew Chad at the time, uh, he was a direct employers, and uh, as I was blogging, he had a blog that, that sucked, but he had a blog. <laughs> And he was like, some of us have. We were we were buddies, and like, yeah, let's just throw some, you know, the shit we talk about over beers. Like, why don't we put a mic in front of us and like push it out there? And this was before smartphones. Uh, people listened to podcasts on the interwebs at the time. Mobile wasn't a thing. Uh, there were iPods, but uh, yeah, it just wasn't quite a thing. So they really sucked. But then uh, I moved back to Indiana, where he is. And he kept bugging me like, dude, we need to we need to revive the, the whole podcast thing. Yeah. Like, yeah, put down the cheeseburgers and pick up a mic. And uh, I said, okay, dude, let's put a landing page out. If we get a hundred people to say yes, you should do this, and we get at least one company to write us a check, I'll commit to a year. And you agreed. And I was hoping to God that we wouldn't get 100 people to sign up or that we wouldn't get someone to write us a check. That's how much he loves but we, but we did. We fulfilled both those those goals. And uh, we launched the thing uh, two years ago in March. Yeah. And we just celebrated in March our second year anniversary of the podcast. Woo! So, and look at us now. Yeah. Who all listens? No lie. <laughs> okay, I've got like five. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Ask tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. So hopefully, hopefully you, you all come aboard. Uh, podcasts obviously uh, are are incredibly, uh, I should say, they, they're on they're the hot. they're on the growth they're side, hot. right? Take a look at the actual hockey stick with podcasts. We we started uh, when you know the only way you could actually listen to them was uh, on your on your computer. It was awful. Yeah, it's horrible. Yeah, a little piece of embed code uh, on this site that produced audio. So my story real quick, I was in the military for 20 years, active, and then also um, on the civilian soldier side of the house, so in the reserves, deployed a couple of times as an infantry drill sergeant down in Fort Benning, Georgia. During that time frame, uh, in 98, I was with uh, Monster before it was Monster. So online career center, in Indianapolis, Indiana, along with uh, Eastman, which was also in Indianapolis, Indiana, um, a couple of the hot job boards at the time. TMP had bought the Monster Board and Online Career Center, smushed them together in January of '99. Did Super Bowl ads, blimps, all that other happy horse shit, and there you go, right? So I was actually a part of that growth, and it was it was fun, and it was just totally incredible to be a part of that. Um, and I left, and I went to uh, a company uh, organization called Direct Employers Association. I was there for 10 years uh, as a VP. Uh, actually, that's where I met, had first conversation with, uh, with Fred back probably like around 2009, 2010. Um, while I was there, we built the National Labor Did Exchange. Did he have hair back then, by the way? Did he have hair? Big afro. Big afro. Yeah, <laughs> it, was, that's what, it was all teased out and everything. Uh, built the National Labor Exchange. I mean, there, there were a ton of things that we were doing that was really focused on workforce and economic development, which is why I love listening to the job case story. Uh, from there, I went to uh, recruit military, was the CXO there during transition, was at Ronstadt, RPO, built their veteran hiring program, and then popped out uh, on my own and got a hold of him and said, hey, you know, 
it'd be really cool if we could start doing something to get our name back out and start talking about just shit and do it the way that we do, uh, which is a couple of guys on a bar, bar stool talking about the 20 years of experience and the technology and all the bullshit that we hear, but nobody talks about. Nobody talks about it. If you've ever listened to an HRTA kind of uh, podcast or even blog in most cases, everybody just kind of softballs or it's all warm and fuzzy. Let's shoot it straight. And that's what we did. And within, I would say, six months, um, we started to see our numbers uh, skyrocket. Uh, and today we have a hand, yeah. handful so, of so listeners think, and sponsors. I think there are three keys to the success of our podcast. Yeah. Number one is our wealth of knowledge. And yes, we're idiots, but we've been in this space for 20 years. So we actually do have some perspective and context that's actually really tough to find. Um, I think the second thing is that we really focused. Um, so many blogs, podcasts, you know, shows, it's like, I want to do a marketing blog or a marketing podcast. And it's like, to who and to like what degree? There's so many like really expansive uh, podcasts that I think part of our success was that we really focused on what we knew best and we, we just did that stuff because we knew it when we talked about it. Um, and then I think the third thing was frequency. Like, we committed to it, we committed to a weekly show, and then opportunities came and, and like, well, we need to feature startups. So we launched Firing Squad, which was like Shark Tank for startups. And then we said, well, instead of like, like the weekly stuff, the news is cool, but let's, let's dive into AI or chatbots or automation or programmatic with people who really know those topics. And now we're doing like live shows and, and talking to companies that way. But because we, we churn out content People know they're always going to get fresh stuff. They're always going to know when they go check out uh, the, the, the page or on iTunes or whatever that there's going to be new stuff. I think those three things, and you can chime in on any other things that, that you can think of. But, yeah, that has been kind of the key to the success of our podcast. Yeah, piggybacking on that, I mean, it is so hard to keep up with what's going on in our industry. You have to do a ton of research or listen to our podcast. I mean, that's pretty much what we want. We want to be able to be the straight shooters do a ton of research, talk to incredibly smart people, uh, and give our opinions on what we've seen throughout the years and what's happening now. I think also, you know, my backgrounds in sales and, and partnership development and whatnot, it was really incredibly important not just to put a podcast out there and step away. Uh, we started partnering with organizations like TA Tech, which is a conference. And then other conferences wanted to be a part of it. So we started doing live shows. We took a look at uh, other, um, other podcasts that were out there that had similar types of formats, but uh, th what were they doing different to be successful? And could we adopt some of those and run parallel? Uh, so we did that as well. And, and we continually do that. So as we build, the way that I see it, is I'm a product guy too, is we build new products that the people want. And we have, we have listeners, which I pretty much see as our customers. I don't see it as our sponsors as our customers, it's our, it's our listeners. Because if they're not, not there, the sponsors aren't there. So what do they want? What do they want us to build? What do they want us to talk about? And uh, that's where we look at our analytics, we connect with our, our listeners, and, and we try to give the people what they want because that's what it all comes down to. So one, that's, that's an awesome success story in two years. What 
what sings out to me from what you just said is we're pretty active in the entrepreneurial community. And we didn't even raise $100 million. You didn't really. raise $100 million. I, I can, I, I can <laughs> introduce you. We get in touch with I can introduce that. you to a guy. Yeah, yeah, I'd like that. Can you do that? <laughs> I know a guy. Yeah, awesome. Um, it, it resonates what you just said about building your, your podcast. I heard committed, I heard you're focused, I heard you're expert in your own area and content. Then you start talking about iterating and, um, and analytics. These are the exact same way so many entrepreneurs talk in uh, uh, successful entrepreneurs around Kendall Square. So it really resonates with me. I'm ignorant of the space. I'm guessing I'm not the only one. I'd be curious if we stay on the business of the podcast. What is what success look like for you guys with this podcast, say three, five years down the road? What's the end? And then also, I'm, what is the business model around it? Is it advertising and call outs? How does that part work? Yeah, uh, advertising is definitely, you know, our, again, if we're, if we're creating uh, content that obviously continues to grow our listenership, we're doing things right. Uh, and if that happens, then companies are going to come to us at that point and this is really how we grew so we had one podcast it was a weekly podcast that was full of sponsors we had a bunch of other companies coming to us saying take our money right and, and it was because they wanted to be associated with something that was authentic something that was real something that pulled the covers back and actually talked about what the landscape looks like so we actually hit a nerve obviously at that point, we started creating all these new podcasts that Joel's talking about. We had these concepts ready to go, but we weren't going to just start throwing them out there without the prospect of funding, too. Because I had a consult, I have a consulting company. He has he has a, a product called Ratedly that's out there. So we have to take a look at the time that we spend. Uh, where do we spend it? And I think that. Assuming everyone, if you haven't heard a podcast, you've heard a radio station before. So our ads are very similar to radio spots. And I think part of our success was the novelty of an audio advertisement. Because most of the companies in our space, they know what Google pay-per-click ads are. They know what Facebook you know, news feeds ad, ads are. But there's not a lot of opportunity, unless you're Casper Mattresses or ZipRecruiter, <laughs> to like think, oh, this podcasting medium is a really cool place to like market our stuff. And because of the audience that we pull is so targeted, a lot of companies, I think, the novelty of like, oh, cool, we could do a little script and record it and put it out there as like almost a radio spot on your show. I think that was part of the appeal, that it wasn't just put a banner ad on the side or you know do something you've already done. It was really unique to a lot of the companies out there. Well, and we have fun with our sponsors, too, because they'll come out with new ads and we'll make fun of the ads. Yeah. Uh, or we'll make fun of their URL, you know, go canvas.io. What the fuck is that? You know, it's... It, it, it's it's one of those it's one of those was gocanvas.com taken yeah yeah, yeah. Anyway. Uh, yeah but they were acquired by Jobite so apparently that didn't hurt them um, but yeah it's it's all about trying to again to be real and and that's what when you set that expectation every advertiser or sponsor that we talk to there's one conversation I have right up front from an expectation standpoint we are who we are we own the content we say what gets on the air how it gets on the air you have no say over any of it. Period. If you can get behind that, we want you to be a sponsor of ours. And there has not been a company yet to say no, because they want to be a part of that genuineness that, to be quite frank, our industry does not have. It's all softballs and fluffy bullshit, right? So that's where I think we and struck I, a nerve. And I think from, from a job case standpoint, and he mentioned community, I, it's it was very strange to me, and I'm a marketing person as well. 
almost pretty much none of our advertisers are laser focused on what are we getting from marketing on your podcast, right? Mm -hmm. None of them have like, go to gocanvas.io slash cheese or something to get this white paper or to find out more about us. Um, there's no coupon codes that they're pimping to like how many people buy that use this code that we can track what we're getting. It almost feels like they're supporting the arts. Like we want to be on this, we want to be on, well art can be many things to many people. But Apparently. but do you, do you agree? Like it, it feels like they're less concerned about what's my ROI and more interested in how do we partake in the community and support what these guys are doing. And I think that's kind of an intriguing part of, of what we do. Yeah, I think it's I think it's a part of it. I, I think they definitely want to support something that they believe in. I mean, that's, I think, how we all feel when we give money to charitable organizations or what have you, or even our time. Um, but but yeah, I think I think the ROI in what we do is uh, is seen in many different ways. First, our different sure, ways. and we get sponsors say like half half our half our half of our inbound leads are the show. Like yeah. they mention the show, so maybe it's just like they don't need to do that sort of tracking because they get it sort of, sort of anecdotally internally from their sales efforts and lead funnels and all that good stuff. So let me ask you one more question on uh, the podcast, and then we'll. You also asked where we want to see it going, which we we strategically, we strategically avoided. That. Just yeah, we avoided that bigger. topic because I don't think we probably don't even agree on it. I don't think we've even talked about it. We like, did hear that yeah. there's well, a stroke URL strategy: it's stroke cheese, not stroke Chad. <laughs> so that's going to be another issue, I guess, to resolve. Yeah. So I don't know. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, I mean. I'm I'm a big growth guy, and and Joel's a it's broke don't it I'm a big growth guy. He's like it ain't broke don't fix it kind of guy. Um, so we're I mean we we and the beautiful part is it's a fifty fifty kind of relationship. So I mean we have to sell each other on stuff because one vote doesn't mean that shit happens. It has to be unanimous, right? If we disagree, we don't do it. Yeah, on if, side. yeah, yeah. So I mean we we really have to make the case, and from our standpoint, you know a. a the word that I'm always kind of going back to is kind of legacy. What do people see us as? What do people see our podcast as? It's not just our podcast. How do we also help others really springboard them up because they have great voices as well? So how? what is our responsibility in this space? Not to be just truth tellers, but also boost other truth tellers up. So how do we do that? And, so, and we, we argue about that stuff. We don't agree in some cases. But I mean, that I think we're both in genuine agreement that, you know, that's why we have people on the show or that's why we want to be able to promote other or maybe even create other podcasts. And there's there is the realization, like for the young people in the audience, and there are quite a few, like the bottom will fall out one day. Like recessions happen. It will happen again. So. Chad and I have seen at least two in our lifetimes. So when that happens, our industry gets hit significantly harder because when people don't hire, we can't make money unless you're, you have a different model. But so I think, I think we're probably more conservative with what we're going toward, knowing that, okay, when the bottom falls out and the sponsorship dollars dry up, like what happens to the show? So we have to think about that as well when we think about growth. Yeah. yeah, no, I totally agree. I, but I also think that in a recession, there's there's also a great conversation around, you know, keeping your brand alive. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? It's a little bit like 
everyone in Boston that was born after 2000 just thinks like championships happen all the time. Like they really don't. Like there there are dry spells where things suck, and that's right, the point just, of just, not your well, yeah. just not your lifetime. Just not your What is one of the? If you look back at the two years, what is a podcast that's very memorable? Either because a guest goes horribly wrong, or because it went very viral afterwards on sharing. Can be good or bad, but. What comes to mind in the last two years of podcast? So Career Builders dumpster fire that's turning into like this dumpster inferno thing has been incredibly helpful. I mean, there's no question. I mean, that's just the stupid shit that we hear out of Career Builder um, that everybody knows is real, right? That 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 has really propelled us. Not to mention, indeed, making just stupid. I mean, maybe it's not stupid short term monetarily for them or revenue standpoint, but I think long term. We see as stupid uh, to be able to make those types of decisions. Um, people want to hear about that. And, and when we can kind of glom onto it and give our opinion on top of it, it uh, it's been big. It's been very big. So two things that stand out for me is, uh, so, so I have a journalism degree from Ball State. Muncie's in the house. Ooh, chirp, chirp. Uh, chirp, chirp, motherfuckers. Um, <laughs> So, although, 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 chirp, chirp, motherfucker. That's going to be the name of this pod, by the way. Uh, that's better than the chat and cheese show. Um, I, although we're, we're generally s sort of idiotic. I mean, we present our stuff in an idiotic way and we drink beer and we're just like two dudes. Like, I've been really proud of some of the more journalistic stuff that we've done. Um, like, if you go back, we interviewed uh, Monster CEO Scott Guts. And to me, that was a really great interview. Um, we interviewed Dan Finnegan, uh, former Jobvite CEO. Colin Day. Colin Day iSims. Like, to me, it's those little journalistic moments that I'm really, really proud of. Um, I would also say that secondarily, uh, Chad and I are, you know, we're underdogs in a way and we're, we're big fans of startups and people want to listen. They want to hear about Indeed. They want to hear about Google. They want to hear about LinkedIn. And we give that to them because that's what they want. But we're really proud to think of Firing Squad and that we bring on startups that most people have never heard of, yeah. ideas that they've never you know, heard of before, and we give them a platform, and granted, we kill a lot of them, but, but we're proud that we give them a stage that they, they generally would not have at a trade show or putting my ad on, you know, on Facebook. Yeah. They, they have a chance. Yeah, lifting up the underdog, I think, is a proud, yeah. proud part of the show for me. I love that. Let's, let's jump off on that. So um, just softball down the middle. We'll do the softball fluff questions here. Um, let's talk about what you see happening in the talent acquisition industry. The moment we're in or the new technology you think is really catching your eye or what's being overplayed. Um, kind of just curious to see, have you kind of ruminate on that? So June 13th, 2016, do you know what happened on that day? A meteor. I don't. Do you? Okay, I'm looking at no. Anyone? So on that day, Microsoft announced the acquisition of LinkedIn uh, for $26.2 billion. A little, little bit. Um, that day really created a huge ripple or wave in our industry, right? It got Google's attention, it got Facebook's attention, it got Salesforce, like everyone who didn't consider employment because it's a little bitty billion dollar industry, like classifieds, job classifieds are considered like a billion dollar industry. All started taking note of that investment saying, okay, what does Microsoft know that we don't? Or what do we also know but lost that opportunity to, to get LinkedIn? So shortly thereafter, 
you had Google saying, we're going to get in this thing. And in, in a course of a year, Google launches a search API to help job boards and company uh, career sites better search for jobs. You got Google for Jobs, which was essentially Indeed on Google, where Google actually has the job listings or descriptions. Indeed used to say they were the Google for Jobs. Yeah, now, now Google is the Google for Jobs. For jobs. Yeah. Um, and then also launch an, like an ATS, right? Like manage candidates, have your own career site. Uh, we saw Facebook launch uh, a Slack competitor. We saw them launch job postings on their uh, sort of online marketplace. And to me, when you ask where is it going, you know, you have sort of this monolithic, we want to be everything platform. So you have Microsoft, which already owns Office, 365, Teams. Now LinkedIn's going to come into this thing. So. Uh, Google as well with G Suite, now they're plugging in hiring tools and recruiting tools in there. Um, I think Facebook has a lot of issues with privacy that they've sort of dropped the ball on it, but um, the, a world in which those two companies become like Coke and Dr. Pepper for sort of workforce management, I think is where we're going. And I think eventually HR is going to lose the decision to buy LinkedIn or Google. It will be IT that will decide we're a Microsoft house, so we're using Microsoft employee tools. Or we're a G Suite house, so we're using Google for our employment stuff. And that's the world we're living in. As a as a as a reaction to that, you know, the meteor hits, certain animals die. I think we're seeing sort of the slow death or dilution of job boards, you know, sites that we think about historically as like monster career builder dice. Um, we're also seeing when asteroids hit, we're seeing little mammals that sort of grow up and evolve. So we're seeing sort of on that end, AI, automation, programmatic, um, you know, companies that are small and growing into sort of evolved um, solutions. We're seeing companies like Jobbyte and iSIMS try to be a second layer for an all-encompassing all platform. So they're buying companies like Canvas for messaging and telemetry and RollPoint and Texture Crew for iSIMS. So I guess long story short, I mean, there's huge amounts of change. It's an incredibly great time to be a podcast because you have these big companies getting in, these little companies sprouting up. Um, and where that all shakes out, no one knows, but it's a hell of a good time uh, to talk about it. Yeah, and I think... So I'm not a big believer in that, you know, there's going to be one system for all. I just don't believe that. Uh, whether it's Google, whether it's Microsoft or what have you, I, also, I believe there's always going to be the different players um, that will be a part of the perspective layers, right? Um, which is what we're seeing today, which is crazy because there are so many different layers that uh, talent acquisition um, they don't even use their first layer, right, being their applicant tracking system, let alone all these other things that they're trying to layer on. Uh, but from my standpoint is we, we talked about, you know, our, our history and being there really when the big job boards, when this industry really, I mean, really was born, which was really cool and is so exciting. But it's more exciting now, I think, um, than ever before because of the startups and the other players that are really focused on different areas. Like talk about empowerment. You know, how do you, how can you actually get a site? You hear companies talk about empowerment. It's generally just bullshit um, because they don't know how to make it work. Uh, when you get into a platform and you can see, and not just trying to play to the audience here, but when you can start to see the actual community, the empowerment within the actual, or the, the actual platform itself, we're seeing that 
to some degree in social media, but we're also seeing a lot of the bad shit too. So, you know, how can you balance that or how can you get rid of, you know, what's happening on, on the bad side versus the actual empowerment that needs to happen? Uh, because people are just taking jobs for dollars. They're taking jobs for purpose and, and obviously to feed their family, don't get me wrong, but purpose has a lot to do with it. And nobody's really talking, they're talking about purpose, but they're not demonstrating purpose. I think we're sort of seeing almost the third wave of sort of the online process. You know, the first was like, just get online. Just put your, take your help wanted sign that's on your window and put it on the internet. And then the second phase, probably in the mid 2000s, you had social media, right? You had MySpace, Friendster, which we remember and we're still on, <laughs> um, and Facebook, Twitter. So you had like, let's just get online. Now you have people online. And now I think the third wave is sort of like, we have technology that can help bring people into the technology and help them um, do their jobs better, find stuff, find work more easily. Um, I think where you guys are really valuable is that you've taken sort of the first wave of there are opportunities, there are people, now how do we bring those together and help them build a community within that? Um, so, which is different than a lot of other companies kind of play that dynamic, right. but I think what the, what the way that you're doing it is, is pretty fascinating. Well, I'll give you a great, a great example. Uh, there's a company that's not too far away from here. It's called Rally Points, and I'm in the military. It's, it's, a, it's a military um, kind of like Facebook to an extent. Uh, and there is some empowerment that's happening there because when I go in, I'm actually going in in most cases to be able to help uh, some of the individuals in the platform who are veterans uh, answer questions around jobs. You know, that, that to me is, is incredibly important. Um, I don't think they have as tight a knit or control over it as they, they possibly could, but I think they're trying to go in the right, in, in, in the right direction. Yeah, we know them. Harvard Innovation Lab. Right? Yeah. yeah, it's a good team. Um, so you touched a little bit on um, the labor markets as well. Um, why don't you talk about where you see, and it might be a conversation about platforms like a Wanalo or Blue Crew or Shift Carrier. Mm -hmm. It might be a conversation about labor market development. Are we going to 1099 instead of W2? But how do you see that labor market playing out, either before or after the recession you mentioned? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a pretty simple guy. I graduated from Ball State. I didn't go to MIT or Harvard or any of those no schools that probably you guys are no on. Okay. So I like things that make a lot of sense to me, right? Like when Indeed came out, that made a lot of sense. Like take all these disparate systems, all these jobs that are everywhere, bring them into one system and let people easily search and go to those, go to those sites. So when I look at platforms uh, that you talk about, um, the pair, the snags, uh, the ones you mentioned, to me it, it makes a lot of sense. Like if I was graduating, you know, if I was getting ready to graduate or, or if I was in school, like it just makes sense, like I want to be this certain thing. Let's say I want to be a cook. So I want to pick, I want to work at Ruth's Chris, I want to work at Morton's, I want to work at, you know, whatever steakhouse. Like I want to cook steaks for a living. And I can be on this platform where a company can basically bid for my services based on my rating, based on my year's experience, whatever. And then when I want to work, I can log in and pick and choose like what steakhouse I want to work out that day. And to me, it just makes sense that the user is empowered to work when they want, make as much as they want. And then the employer is, is empowered because if I need an extra cook that night or an extra whatever because there's a conference in town that I can easily access these this talent pool to bring them in and not have to go through like 
post a job, interview them for a full-time employee, get the benefits. And by the way, we haven't said the word ghosting yet since we've been here, but like ghosting is a huge problem with companies where people get a job and just don't show up or they come for a week and then like I'm kind of done with it. So to me, platforms make a ton of sense. And I think that's why we're seeing so much money go into that space that people see that as well. Yeah, I think it's hard to have the conversation without talking about platforms and infrastructure and being able to once again empower people um, to find those jobs uh, and and really be in control and that's that's where we're going. I mean, I'm sure. I mean, it's not it's not here. It will be next year in a form in California. But who's heard of GDPR? That's all about what giving control of pretty much a candidate control of their own data. That's their data. Right? It's not, it's not the employer's data. It's, so that's a huge shift, and we're seeing that shift happen. That's coming to America, and that, by the way. That's coming next year, just starting in California. Um, so, I mean, being able, to, being able to do much of what we're doing today outside of platforms, platforms are just going to seep in. Uh, technology is. It's Moore's Law. That's good. Thanks. Let me hit some uh, questions people asked in advance. Just a couple of quick ones to see if there's any more out here. And Do we? Will we know who asked the question? I will tell or you. Is this all anonymous? I will tell you their first names, and I think because everyone <laughs> pays my members to hire them all the time, or my employees. Will... So everyone point to who, whoever yeah, yeah. first. So name Yuri, is. Yuri in the room. Oh, there Yuri. we go. There's there the, it is. the balls. Yeah, this is my question. So our man Yuri is on our information retrieval team, expert in machine learning, and does a lot of uh, applications of that for us. One of Yuri's questions um, says, it seems that recruiting has become less and less humane with automated resume parsing, application filtering, automated screening, et cetera. Where does it get us? What is the effect on teams and overall company culture that are choosing AI for recruiting? So Fred has a great slide that you need to take a look at, Yuri. And just from, a, just from a, the base of this question, yes, he literally, and I use this in, in some of the podcasts and presentations that we do, where he's taking a look at like ONET jobs and then he's taking, he's showing that this whole job can't be automated, right? That there are just aspects, tasks in this job that can be automated. I think what we should be focusing on is, oh my God, our job's going to go to robots. It's prospect, right? But just not yet. Right now, we can be more human because we're getting more time back. And, and recruiters are not doing all this stupid shit and being able to go through and make the calls and schedule the appointments for the interviews and just all the, the mundane things that keep them busy and, and keep bad recruiters you know, in, in the system, right? Uh, good recruiters want to be able to actually provide the human touch. And I believe that the technology will allow us, at least this first phase, will allow us to get rid of all these mundane tasks and just focus on process. And, that, and that's one of our, my big keys is that we are always focused on technology, 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 and that's bullshit. We need to focus on process and the problem, and then start looking at technology, right? And at that point, and at that point, we become more human because of technology. And I also add that I think, ironically, the job search process is becoming more human thanks to technology. Now, what I mean by that is, you know, 15, 10, 15, 20 years ago, even less than that. When you submitted a resume to a company online, it was what's called the resume black hole, right? You'd, you'd submit a resume to a company, you'd never hear back from them, maybe a, an automated thank you for applying, 
and it was really a cold and corporate process. Thanks to chatbots, thanks to messaging, sort of automated conversations that, that are happening right now, even though job seekers know because they're told that this is a chatbot, they still like it a lot more than just giving up a resume and then never hearing from a company. Like they would much rather have some sort of communication. So I think in a weird way, the automation has created a, a more human touch to the, um, to the job search process as well, which has been a good thing for companies. Yeah. Thanks. This um, might follow on part of that. So Dylan on our, uh, runs our commercial sales team. Sales guy question. Yeah, so here's the thing about Dylan. Like, he is an early indicator of success. He was an early employee over at Indeed. He's an early part of our sales efforts here. So I'm a little concerned he might be looking for the next thing too early on this question. Because <laughs> <laughs> he says, what's the one thing employers want or need that no vendor is adequately serving today? Okay. Um, but I think that's interesting. I asked you, like, what you see in the current marketplace. Yeah. and What do you what holes do you guys see that no one's really uh, uh, filled? So, that, that is that, that is a big, a big key. There are so many different types of platforms that can do what we're just talking about, being able to take care of those mundane pieces. The problem is they're outside of the, the applicant tracking system in many cases, and you're sending a recruiter from here to this platform to this platform. So I think a lot of the tech is actually out there. The big issue is the integrations and making sure that the, the system of record, whether that's your CRM, if that's what you want to call it, or your ATS, that they are integrating into these different platforms to ensure that you have all these efficiencies in place. That's the big key um, because talent acquisition, they can't spell programmatic. They don't know how, how can, Joel says they can't spell SEO. Um, and they don't know what AI is. And who gives a shit what AI is, right? Just as long as you understand the process and the problem, you can take care of that, but there has to be an integrated system that does that. So I think that, Fred, mm -hmm. to, to, to the, it's not really something that's new, it's how we take what we already have and use it in, in more of an appropriate manner. So I wanna, I wanna see a day, and I think a day will come at some point, where a, a business owner says, hey Alexa, Schedule me up to 10, or not even that. Alexa, find me a PHP developer nearby, right? And the bots go in and they go source candidates that are PHP developers within 10 miles or whatever, where you are. They set up a, an automated uh, process to pre-screen and interview the person that's also unbiased, by the way, right? There's not sort of, it's really actual skills, and we haven't talked about that. But, so they, they, do the interview without the person ever doing anything. They schedule it through the process. Uh, the scheduling syncs up with the, the business owner's uh, own Google Calendar or whatever. Um, they'll get scheduled. He goes in next week. You know, 10 candidates come in that have already been pre-screened, sourced. All he has to do is like sort of make sure the chemistry's right or interview them, a uh, quick interview, and then hire, hire them in that process. So to me, I think there's a future where we just say, I need a PHP developer by next month, and the bots go do it for you, and people show up, and you hire them if they're fits or and, not. And there are some companies that are already doing this. So I think you, you take a look at, if you want to see trying who's, to no, they are. No one does the full bore, they, see, hey Alexa. Yeah, well, not that. They don't do the hey Alexa thing. All right, then you're wrong. <laughs> so anyway, if you take a look at the RPO, side of the house, recruitment process, outsourcing companies. One, one of the things that we have to understand is talent acquisition 
it's their job to hire people, right? Um, in RPO and staffing, it's their business. So they're really focused on efficiencies and the best ways to get from A to Z or whatever that is. So you take a look at some of those companies and some of the tech that they're putting in place, which is one of the reasons why I love to have conversations with those individuals like Adam Godson or Quincy Valencia or what have you at those different RPOs because they are constantly looking at chatbots and sourcing tech, a programmatic tech, and bleeding that all together so that you do have, and I'll give you a great example. Right now, Cielo has a high volume product that within 10 minutes after they do a post a job, programmatic outreach, as soon as individuals start engaging, within 10 minutes, under 10 minutes, they're already scheduled for an interview. So it's boom, right? And that's exactly where we need to be, and we can be today. We just have to be able to build those bridges uh, on a more scalable platform like an applicant tracking system. Last question from Karen on our biz dev team, account manager, are you in the room, Karen? Karen, All right, Karen. so she has a lot of gigs and she already addressed, but she also says, how do you think the Uber and Lyft IPOs play out in the long run? And feel free, I'll tack on to the end of that, feel free to um, address also how uh, the path to public companies can um, impact or affect how you think uh, companies are serving either their clients or their uh, job seekers? Um, I think that, um, you know, I think Google is a good example. I mean, Google for 10 years was riding the pay-per-click train, right? Growth was through the roof, everyone was doing it, it was trending incredibly well, and then people started to get more choices in how they advertised, right? Social media, um, there are all kinds of ways. So Google's last quarterly report, they dropped 10% because clicks are going down, the growth isn't there, the amount that they get per click um, is going down. So Google has to figure out how do we, you know, where's the low hanging fruit for more money? So to me, they're, they're looking at how do we verticalize our search? Like how do we do apartments and cars and, and all these different things? And employment is one of those verticals that to me they're targeting to help increase revenue. Why that's relevant is I think Uber and Lyft, eventually the ride sharing you know, train is going to slow at some point. And at that point they have to say, where does growth come? Where does more money come? So they're looking at driverless cars and creating those systems. But I think Uber, Uber in particular is looking at how do we create, we, have, we already have these people that are in the Uber platform that we pay for driving. How can we pay them for doing other things? Uh, Uber Eats is I think an extension of that. How do we pay them to just go pick up food and deliver it? And I think work is going to be another thing that they probably get into. Like how do we just uh, use our platform to someone who drives a car also can sign up to work at a dry cleaner or work at a convenience store and then we'll manage that whole process because we already have the platform um, to do it. I think inevitably Lyft will probably look at that space as well because if it's successful um, for Uber they'll, they'll look at that. Um, I guess that's the answer to the question as I know it. Yeah, I think I think it's going to be hard for those companies uh, coming from the direction that they did. I think companies in the employment space can actually take a look at that because they already have clients, they have companies to be able to build on, and they have revenue streams that are already built in for new products that they could build much like uh, an Uber or a Lyft. Ghosting will go down a lot when a driverless car goes to pick your worker up and bring them right to work. <laughs> Like a car's going to be there in an hour. Like you get in it and come to work. 
Um, I'm also really excited about um, Slack's IPO. I'm really intrigued about how they're going to get into the work the workforce. Uh, and if you don't think they're interested, their uh, their ticker symbol is work. So, yeah. so it's they're in they're coming in this space. They're a messaging app. I mean, and not to mention, I mean, does everybody know how Slack actually came to be? Stuart Butterfield again. He's trying to build this software company. Uh, has to sell, create Flickr to sell it to be able to gain more money to be able to fuel the engine. That didn't work. They found some more money, started the whole thing again, and Slack came out of it. So whenever I hear Slack talk about vision, all I hear is bullshit because that was it was a product that they used internally. There was no vision there. Their vision was to create like this VR Second Life thing that Joel would be in like 24-7. This, I mean, so from my standpoint, it just, to me, just seems incredibly overblown. I think they are a company that, uh, much like Uber and Lyft, can, can demonstrate to the rest of the market where opportunity is, but they, I just don't see them long-term unless somebody acquires them, which won't happen because they're gonna be IPO here in about two weeks. Agree with either one of us. Slack should be interesting to watch. That'll be interesting to watch. Be interesting yeah, yeah, crash and burn. So, <laughs> all right, right, we're getting the good stuff. We're kind of wrapping up. We're at one o'clock. Listen, I I learned a lot, and I thank you. I applaud what you guys have done and the success you're having. It's freaking awesome to watch. Um, I appreciate the nice things you said about job case along the way. Anything you want to wrap up with before we call it a call it an hour? Well, every time we have a CEO come on the show and, and pitch their product. At the end of their pitch, they never tell the audience where they can learn more about their, their product. So I guess I would leave it as simply, if you liked what you heard today and you want to hear more, uh, check out chadcheese.com or just search the Chad and Cheese podcast on whatever podcast platform you prefer. Yeah. Hit the right. blue subscribe button and have at it. I think, you, I think you added a lot of listeners today. Thank you, Chad. Thank you, Joel. Thanks, Chad. This has been the Chat and Cheese Podcast. Subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss a single show. And be sure to check out our sponsors because they make it all possible. For more, visit chadcheese.com. Oh yeah, you're welcome. The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast.